Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Chaos. I have a coffee. You have a coffee. We both, we both have, have coffee. coffee. Wasn't intentional that we drank at the same time. Yeah. Jeez, that is very strong. I need to add more water for that, but it's fine. Oh. Okay. No, it's fine. I, I need the boost this morning. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I just added the water to the coffee. I did not put the coffee in, so that is your responsibility. That is well, I, I mean, maybe people who don't who who don't tune into the lives know I'm very much uh, chucking as much instant coffee straight out of the pot. I don't spoon it in or anything like that. There's nothing wrong <laughs> with a shake and make. Shake, it, make, fill water all the way to the top. I think that's the difference. I've gone, I, I normally fill it and... This will probably won't make it to the final cut. More, <laughs> normally fill it up to the handle uh -huh. so that I know that it's not going to spill okay. because I'm quite a shaky walker. <laughs> so from wherever I'm making the drink, I'm like, no, okay, you go handle level, minimise spillage, <laughs> um, but in your massive mug. My that... massive poffle mug, yeah. Fill it all the way to the top. Spill a little bit, of course, you have to. That's the nature. Uh, don't mix it because, you know, it's additional washing up, isn't it? I mean, I did mix it. Maybe there's, wow. a, maybe it's me. Maybe <laughs> I'm the problem. But um, yeah, coffee. We're nearly at the end of February. I think it's that thing of the mornings are getting lighter, the evenings are getting lighter, but we're both needing the caffeine. Absolutely. But this week is a cool, funky week, especially in trading card games, actually, because we have the first, and it feels like for a while, the first kind of special little box for Yu-Gi-Oh! Actually, since the Megatons, probably, near uh, mid, like, quarter way through last year. Three quarters See, of the way through last year. I think of, like, uh, Bewero Trap Tricks being a special set, but it wasn't. It was a structure deck. Yeah, it, yeah. it wasn't anything special. I think it's just because there were a lot of cards that mm. were quite interesting. But, yeah, it should be quite fun. Yeah, but Battles of Legend kind of fits what I wanted to talk about today, which is the kind of collectability of specifically trading card games but it applies to board games as well so collectability versus playability of the actual game and how important those two aspects are especially when it comes to trading card games i think there's a lot to be said for people collecting what they like and i don't want this discussion to be everything should be playable it should <laughs> definitely be this and i don't want it to be everything should be collectible no. first because i think there's a lot that you need to enjoy whatever your hobby is. And I think we always kind of have that moment of going, is this going to be for my sealed collection? My sealed collection is actually a lot of Zombicide that mm. is still in the cellophane. <laughs> or is this something you're going to open? Yeah. And I think with Pokemon being 25 years yeah. plus, yeah, yeah. Um, we've seen a lot of people who've got base set mm -hmm. who now see the value in it. Mm -hmm. And then with every new release, they're keeping some of that aside mm. and i don't know it feels a bit weird to me for to just have something that you don't play no but we're we're in a unique position i guess as as sellers of all these kinds of different products where we see the the different trading card games and how some of them slant more towards collectible in nature and some of them slant towards more of gameplay focused and i think you go and pokemon are too big indicators of that if, if there were big indicators in tcgs like pokemon feels very much more for the collectible person who's maybe more casually into pokemon uh there's a lot of funky artwork cards the illustration rares we've seen over the past uh, few months and training gallery before that have been really indicative of that and the golds and the rainbow rares and things like that feel like they've been more slanted towards uh collectible players or collectible uh customers in nature 
but they've also been doing decks and size. So it's not like a whole, like, they've totally gone for collectible players. They do do decks as well, and, you know, there's obviously the in-store scene. I think there is the the leagues, the players, and what is really interesting with Pokemon is you can tell the cards that are sought out or sought after for playability mm. versus, and I'm going to call them pretty. <laughs> yeah. They're just pretty cards because a lot of the text is the same. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to have a pretty card no. for it to be able to play really well. There are very few card games, I believe, that have variation in the abilities when you're looking at the, the pretty cards versus the standard yeah. cards. I, I'm saying very few. A lot, of, a lot of TCGs will have like that kind of Pokemon or the thing where it's like this slightly different rarity it's in foil but it's the same as the other card just with slightly different artwork just in slightly foil yeah and so pokemon definitely i feel leans into that more than the other tcgs i think magic dabbles in in both as well um especially when it comes to things like collector's boosters and secret layers and stuff like and that they are beautiful yeah. cards and definitely kind of one of those when we've opened some of the collectors i'm thinking of phyrexia Phyrexia in particular, Katana. the the kind of oil slick. Mm. That stuff was stunning. Beautiful. But I also wouldn't want that to get damaged exactly. if I was playing. Like, we've spoken about shuffling cards. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> but you sleeve your cards. You make sure you've got it there. If you want that extra protection, you have a top loader. You're not playing with a top loaded deck. No, but... Um... I mean, that that kind of goes into uh, Flesh and Blood, actually, as well, where Flesh and Blood has some very beautiful cards, some Marvel Rares, um, and Fabled cards, Legendaries, and a lot of people will top-loader their um, their equipment because it just stays on the field. It's technically goes into your discard pile once it's gone, um, technically, and you can randomise your discard pile if there's anything that affects that, but a lot of people play with that and the weapons and their hero top-loaded if they are the shiny variation. And especially when it comes to equipment, a lot of them are legendaries in Flesh and Blood, normally quite expensive, or they're cold foils as well, which also could be quite expensive. Again, very pretty. Again, very pretty. And I think with the Yu-Gi-Oh! release coming out, and this is a special edition, and we just had, well, we had the announcement of the Rarity Collection 2 that's coming out. It's got like seven different rarities in it. We just had Phantom Nightmare and other sets that have had these beautiful quarter-century secret rares as well, which I would say are kind of outliers to this point. Again, like, like Pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh, they both dabble in collectability versus and playability. I think it's one of those, the rarity collections were nostalgia hmm. as well. Bits as and pieces, yeah. Like, it was, uh, the whole set wasn't, but there were a few cards that people were looking out for that they wouldn't have been able to get because they weren't playing the game. Hmm. It's out of print. There's so many variations on it, but they're still fun cards to have, and they're still cards that people talk about in terms of gameplay, whether they're Banned cards or things like that, thinking particularly for Yu-Gi-Oh! Mm. Because Pokemon's a rotation. Pokemon's so a rotation, yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh! is a ban list. So, and one of the ones that I think we speak about most with the playability versus collectability is Digimon. Digimon, yeah. I, I, again, though, I think the it's difficult because a lot of games, they don't go specifically into one area. Like, Digimon has some really expensive cards that are uh, beautiful artworks. We saw them with the Sigil ones in Exceed Apocalypse last well, Friday. Impossible to pull. Yeah, we got one from um, from our case, and I think us as an entirety got three. Yeah, that's the thing. We're opening a lot. And we're of opening cards. a lot, and we're not completing the set, which I feel like isn't a thing that happens with things like Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh to an extent. Although 
going back to Yu-Gi-Oh! And, and the outliers, the quarter century rares are the kind of outliers to this and the ghost rares and things like that, which are very pretty. But I think a lot of the time the market seems to slant more towards more playable cards. Things that you need three of in your deck will normally be more expensive, more sought after until they're banned. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's quite an interesting concept because Pokemon has the rotation, so you know there's going to be a time where you can't play that card. Yep. With Yu-Gi-Oh, it, it feels like it's more, okay, we're banning this because of uh, X, Y, and Z, and you might have had loads of support for it, and then it's like, nope, gone. The way I like to think about the Yu-Gi-Oh ban list, and this is going to be completely wrong because I'm not too into the Yu-Gi-Oh kind of meta and everything like that, <laughs> I like to think of it as like your stomach, like gut flora. <laughs> okay. So you want to keep right. the balance of your of your gut and your stomach in line. You want to make yep. sure you're eating the right things so that your gut doesn't get overwhelmed by anything like a really spicy chili or something like that. You want to keep it all in motion until uh, something does hit, which is great. You love it, but it messes up your gut. So you just want to never have that again, <laughs> right? Oh, the heartbreak and of that really tasty food that has destroyed everything exactly. you've worked hard for. So the Yu-Gi-Oh! meta, I like to think of it as like, you know, we've got these new cards, we're introducing new archetypes, but there's something that breaks the game or something that means that the top 50 decks are all the same deck with random variations. So you just got to take out that one card, re rearrange the stomach, the gut flora, make sure it's all good, <laughs> make sure everything's working in, in motion again, and yeah. It's definitely not a direction I thought this conversation would go down as we're both sipping coffee mm -hmm. and kind of going, yeah, but it is. It's a ecosystem. Yeah. It's not something that you want to mess around with too much, and there is such a strong competitive scene within Yu-Gi-Oh that I can understand why it's being kind of monitored in that way. Well, the thing with TCGs as a whole is that it's like every set you're getting 200 new cards to add to this ecosystem, essentially. Mm -hmm. So you've got to bring them in. You've got to try and balance everything. You've got to bring in new ideas, new archetypes. You have some knowledge of what may happen because you, you, hopefully you do playtesting and things like that. But you never know. And all it takes is somebody thinking a little bit differently. There could be a card from 20 years ago that someone just puts in the deck and it just works because it's got the name Goblin in it. You know? And for some reason, <laughs> even though Goblins weren't around at that point, yeah. it's just picked up on that and you just go, oh yeah. no. And it, w someday in the future when we come back to TCGs and talk about keywords, I'm very... I'm very excited about talking about keywords at some point in the future. Please provide me with some kind of guide <laughs> for that. But something I did want to pick up on is board games. Mm -hmm. Now, board game collectability isn't as prolific as trading card games, but with Kickstarters, mm -hmm. with a spe special editions, mm -hmm. with things that are anniversary versions, there might not be something different in the game. Sometimes there is, and that's very exciting. Um, but you can still have collectible board games. There Absolutely. are limited printings Absolutely. of games yeah. and things like that. And what I'd be interested in is, so you can play with any of the rare collectible cards. You can do that. Mm -hmm. That is within your gifts. Mm -hmm. You are more than welcome to. With board games, what I find interesting is there's less hesitation about opening up them up and playing them. But I imagine somewhere somebody has a sealed collection of board games. Mm. I imagine there are collectors out there that just go, yep, it's it's this. Uh, we support the board game museum that is in the Midlands, and they have got 
Victorian games. They have mm. got these older games as part of their collection. And I think the temptation with a lot of Kickstarters is going, ooh, I'd like that. That's yeah. not going to be available elsewhere. I'm thinking of your Drogon, but I'm also <laughs> thinking of my collection of the Undead or Alive, well, West Somberside. Yeah. Like, I didn't know whether I was going to be able to get all of those bits. So I now have a large collection of it on a shelf. But I feel like collectability in board games is less so. I don't think it's as as much of a thing. Like, I think it comes to, if you're doing like a direct comparison with board games and trading card games, there's value, I guess, is the big thing that comes to my mind. So say you had the first ever printing of Monopoly. Yeah. It's pristine. It's in whatever plastic wrapping it was in at the time, maybe. I don't know. I was going to say it's probably paper. Paper packaging. <laughs> it's all perfect mint condition. But if you compare that to a Pokemon base set, that's completely sealed, mint condition. That Pokemon base set, it might, no, it could be wrong, will probably be worth more. But and It's kind of interesting because uh, the reason I say about limited print runs is something that comes up with trading card games, with board games, because once the manufacturing is done, they it's could done. never... They could never print it again. I think it's just less prevalent. Like if we take something like Wingspan, there's been like 9, 10, 11, I can't remember how many editions of Wingspan, which are just new print runs, basically. Yeah. They've added in some stuff or rotted some bits since the first print run, but there's been many different print runs of that. But for the most part, that first edition of Wingspan isn't going to be too far away from that ninth edition of Wingspan and it's still playable. I don't know if it, can, it can, has as much value um, or there's as much change in value from that first edition to the ninth edition. But something that Stonemaier have been doing more recently, since Wingspan actually, I think, is things like Tapestry and Pendulum, they've had like a limited print run of that first edition. And, and so it's got that little number on the bottom. And that's the thing that I think kind of comes into play with it. If you are a fan of it and you know that's happening, you would probably go, yeah, I want some of the first ones. Yeah. It's, it, I feel like it's human nature. Absolutely. I don't know if people would keep it sealed for the most part. Maybe for like a Kickstarter if they were to potentially sell it on afterwards because the value rises after the Kickstarter is done. Yes. Um, but I think there's an interesting comparison we can make to role-playing games because role-playing games will often have a limited edition or alternate art. Um, oh, it's gone. They're over there somewhere on the table. Oh. But they'll often have an alternate art kind of version of them which is essentially the same just with a different cover and i so for those who are listening rather than watching us uh on the calyx behind us we have had some of the alternate covers mm -hmm. of the D D books and things like that and they are they're beautiful and they make lovely bookshelf eye candy <laughs> but contents wise it's the same it's the same absolutely the same uh you just looking to get it because it's more collectible and because you enjoy it or because you like the artwork. But we talked about a lot of, about the collectability. Yeah. And I think collectability as well, just briefly saying that um, a lot of the, the Panini and Top stuff, that is definitely more focused into the collectability side of it rather than the playability side of it. And we have played some of we the... Have? like, But it's about getting your favourite team. Favourite team, shiniest cards. And again, it's, it's more about value there. Trading. Trading as well. Not something many people do these days with trading card games. I really, <laughs> there's a, a part of me that remembers like where you just turn around and go, have you got this? Yeah. 
I'll, I'll trade you two of these well, to for be fair, one of those. That's what we've been doing with Disney Lorcana when we've been playing it on stream. We've been kind of trading ourselves, plus you owe me a lot of Into the Inkland stuff. A lot, <laughs> a lot. And I think that's something that we are playing casually. Yeah. And that is the thing. And finding your casual community gives you the opportunity to do those trades. And sometimes you will trade stuff that isn't of value to you mm. Because of the way that you're playing your deck, or yeah. what your films you're into, or which um, archetypes you like, but to somebody else, they're like, "Please, may I have everything that's frog related? <laughs> yeah. Please, may I have that?" And that is the stuff that I feel like we miss out on online because people quickly look at the price comparison rather than, "Okay, it might only be five pence, but to me." I want that crochet Pokemon. Absolutely, and I think that's another difference between a casual player and a professional player, which is a whole other topic we can get into as well. But going back to playability of different card games as well, I think in, in things like Disney World Carnival, I think we're finding a nice kind of balance between things that are really playable, things that are collectible. You've got the Enchanted Rares in there as well. And those Enchanted Rares are... They're not in every box. They're not in every case. They probably are in every case, but we haven't. I think, like, <laughs> but if you're if you're a player, you might get a boost box. You might get a few packs. Yeah. You are building up your collection to play at this point. And with Lorcana, we're still having. I want to say new dynamics, but new gameplay elements being added. Yeah, locations, like locations. being added. Um, and that's going to change how people are collecting those cards but also i have no idea what lands of locations <laughs> that's a slip up sorry magic um i don't know what locations going to do in terms of what i want to put in my deck mm. but uh, different different players will collect different things so like if i'm if i'm purely building a deck if i'm not too fussed about collecting things then i'd get single cards for the most part if i wanted to keep track of my money basically and money is an important thing to kind yeah. of highlight with this. Not everybody has huge amounts of budget to be spending 50 to 100 pounds per card to then get that place out for Yu-Gi-Oh. So you're going to be getting booster packs. You're going to be seeing if you can chase yeah. that card. Potentially, yeah. Um, but also, it's really quick and easy to look online and go, oh, yeah. Those are a couple of quid. Mm -hmm. I'll get those because I know I'm guaranteed to get them. Absolutely, and I can, then I can build my deck. Um, when it comes to playability, though, because um, we're going to delve into a topic I think I know a lot about, living card games is where that kind of change happens from TCGs being collectible to yeah. completely playable. For the most part, there were promo cards in LCGs and living card games. Um, but I I tend to think of living card games as board games. Mm, well, see, this is the interesting thing. And just to go into what a living card game is, it's like a trading card game, but you're guaranteed X cards every month or however they wanted to put them out. Uh, so, like, um, the ones that are still going on, Marvel Champions, Arkham Horror, yep. Lord of the Rings Living Card Game. I think that in terms of the ones that are officially called living card games, those are the three. And then... On from that, you've got deck building games, which are different from living card games. Yeah, very different. Very different. Those, I would say, are more board games. And this goes into the minutiae of what's a board game, what's not. And I think <laughs> it's kind of one of those to have the sliding scale yeah. is quite handy to go trading card games. You're looking at your Magic, your Pokemon, your Yu-Gi-Oh, your Digimon, your Flesh and Blood, your Disney Lorcana. 
then you've got your living card mm-hmm. games then you've got your deck building games and i feel like marvel champions is one of those that it is a deck building game but it's a living card game like it's one of those that you could just buy the core box yeah i mean if we again if we're going down to the minutia technically it's not a deck building game because a deck building game is one where you start with a little bit and you grow more and you buy okay. more from the market perfect it's a living card game because you build your deck and then you you play whatever scenario you want to play. And this is one of those that when you say about talking about keywords, why I want that <laughs> Because you are building a deck in a living You're card. building a deck within the game yeah. for a deck building game. But in terms of LCGs and TCGs, you're building the deck pre-game and going into it. <laughs> I know, no, I'm, I'm saying this uh, with a, a grin on my face because it is the almost the poking the bear with it. It's such a, a broad market yeah. that when you've got your living card games, you know what you're getting and you exactly. can get those things. You can look for the expansions, the new releases for it and go, actually, all I want to do is get everything that's related to Spider-Ham. Exactly. And so that's kind of where that playability kind of takes precedence. And back when there were competitive living card games like Legend of the Five Rings and the Game of Thrones living card game, there are still some. There's Ashes uh, Reborn, which is technically an expandable card game, which is like a living card game, but of course, slightly different things. Uh, not including Keyforge either. Uh- <laughs> yeah, but this is the thing. We, you spoke about it earlier on. We see a lot of games. There's a of lot games. of things. Um, but when there were the competitive living card games, um, you knew what pack was coming out every single month. You knew everything that was in the pack, and maybe you would only need like the, the Scorpion bits of that Legend of the Five Rings pack or the Lannister bits from the Game of Thrones card game But you pack. can cherry pick. You can cherry pick it, but you knew exactly what you were getting, and so there's no collectability to it aside from promos that they did in store. Yeah. And it's... I mean, those games don't exist anymore, but... And there's a question of whether the collectability keeps a game alive. And I think it does. And I think if we, if we talk about the, the, uh, the secondary market, uh, that often keeps games alive. Yeah. Which, you know, where everyone's keeping track of single card prices, people are seeing what is, what is being played in the meta, what people are chasing... That definitely helps to keep games alive more than, I mean, I mean the living card games are, are dead card games for a reason, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, because I, I really enjoy it I from a player side. That's the kind of element that we talk about, the playability versus collectability. We actually talk about it with board games in terms of replayability mm. as well. You want something that you're spending your money on that you can play more than once. And I think... It's one of those things that whatever hobby you're into, whatever game you like to play, whether you're a collector, whether you're actually trading and playing, you want value for what you're spending. Absolutely. You want value in what you're spending for everything, I think. Most people are these days anyway. Yeah. Um, So it's a really interesting topic. We can probably talk about it for (laughs) days because there are cards that are collectible and playable. Mm -hmm. There are cards that are just real purdy but it's going to be interesting to see how a lot of these games develop like you say living card games there aren't as many being produced they're mostly uh, cooperative now 
Which is a fair direction to go because Arkham Horror was so popular, Marvel Champions so popular, and things like that. It does, as a as a player, it makes me sad that I you you have to spend more money to be competitive yeah. in a lot of games, which I think is is a shame. But I guess there's you know there's there's pros and cons, right? It's like you want to to keep value in that market. You want people to be chasing different things, and the companies want people to be chasing different things so that they continue to make money. Because yeah. without the companies making money, then the card games are just going to die. And that's where we end <laughs> and up. That's where we end up. You know? Oh, but it it makes it difficult as well because not everybody has a lot of money to spend on these things. So if you have to spend four or five hundred pounds to be competitive, it knocks a lot of people out. Yeah, and then and then come the end of the season or whatever, the deck is done. Potentially. And then another four or five hundred pounds and it's like you say with the secondary market, it is great, but there's also a consideration, I think, for a lot of people of how much money am I gonna pour into this? Yeah. And particularly as the financial world as it is mm -hmm. right now, most people are going, actually, what can I spend money on? And living card games is a really good way to make sure you know what you're getting. Absolutely. And my hope is that games like Disney Lorcana, which doesn't seem to be too bad aside from Enchanted, but Enchanted, you don't need them to play. No, those are for the, collect the collectors. And I would say Disney in particular is great as a brand as having those collectible items so you can buy special edition dvds mm -hmm. you can buy special edition plushes and things disney know and do that across the board yeah. very well so i feel like with lorcana they have taken the expertise from that and yeah. gone these are the special ones but they're keeping playability at the core of the game absolutely and i think the more stock of it we get as a whole because i think some of the prices initially when that first box was very limited were very high but I think, as we found with um, with Set 2 Rise of the Floodborne, it's kind of gone down a bit, and hopefully that remains relatively easy to get into. One game that I did completely forget about, One Piece. One Piece, yeah. But I think there's another um, thing about One Piece in terms of the stock as a whole, oh, well, um, which adds to the... Va the value? The I think the collectability is outside of the game mm. as well. If you are a fan of One Piece, yep. you might buy everything One Piece. So yep. it doesn't matter whether you're into trading card games or not. You might go, yep, I'm having that. <laughs> and I think those kind of fandoms and things, that is a completely different area and topic to talk about. And we'll see what happens with Star Wars Unlimited as well when it comes out very soon. Because that, to me, on the outset, looks like a more a player-focused game. Um, they do have the showcase cards, but they appear to be quite rare, kind of like Enchanted's are, but they, they're not required for playability. And we haven't delved into Flesh and Blood that much either, but also the Legendaries are very, they're very difficult to get, and a lot of the equipment is Legendary, and so there's parts of that, the Marvel cards as well, and Fables. And I think Flesh and Blood is still a relatively young game yeah. compared to a lot of the other... Uh, card games that we've spoken about but there's loads on this topic that we could we could talk about it forever so if you want to hear us talk about it more let us know but also tune into our live streams four o'clock till six o'clock every single weekday we open up many things and talk about many things um star wars unlimited if you're wondering it comes out on the 8th of march yep. same as the online retail release for Lorcana yep. and the fallout magic the gathering set as well if you're into your collections, that's a big day. Yep. And if you want to find out more about, I guess, how 
uh, other like video games and medias talk about uh, get into tabletops and stuff like that and influence tabletop gaming, then you can check out the podcast from last week where we spoke about all of that, including a little bit about Fallout and Magic the Gathering. Just a smidge. Just a smidge. But thank you for listening. Uh, we're going to enjoy the rest of our coffees. Yep. And uh, we will see you next week or on a live stream. Bye. Bye.